Let's go to God with the word of prayer. And then we're going to uh, start our message. It's good to see everybody. You guys look tanned, like you've been outside for a while. Let's pray. God in heaven, Father, we are truly grateful uh, to be together today. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the wonderful weather, and we also thank you for the rain that uh, waters the trees and the plants around us and also provides water for us, uh, God. But we truly enjoy a beautiful sunny day. Uh, I do pray, Father, that my words will be your words, that your spirit will guide uh, our thoughts and will lead us in your word at this time. And, Father, I pray that we can leave here uh, just encouraged by you and, and uh, loved up on by you and, and uh, that your, your word will carry us through the week. Uh, we love and thank you. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to continue on with our series... Um, I did make a few changes, though. I, I, I got to confess, I did make a change after doing some prayer and, and uh, you know, just deciding to take a different direction with uh, all your mind. I think you'll be encouraged by it. But I do want to remind us, Mark, chapter 12, verse 30, we should know this by heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Loving God with all your mind. You know, it involves allowing God's word to rule our thoughts, our decisions, and eventually our actions. And we all know that that's a lot easier said than done, right? But it can be done. And Paul wrote a whole letter about it. You know, Philippians, you, you read this letter from a man who has learned to love the Lord his God with all his mind. Paul, under extreme circumstances, still found it able to have joy despite the suffering he was going through, despite his circumstances, despite all that was going on around him in the church, outside the church, Paul still found it able to say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So you can't tell me that we can't learn to love the Lord with all our mind. It can absolutely be done. When we decide to love the Lord our God with all our mind, God promise, he promises to assist us. He promises to help us. I love this passage here in Isaiah 20, 26 and verse 3. It says, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. For it is trusting in you. When we decide to love the Lord with our thoughts, with our decisions, God gives us a peace that transcends all understanding. And God promises to help us. If you're serious about loving the Lord with your mind, God will keep your mind in perfect peace. This is a promise that you and I can claim by faith. Paul echoes the same promise in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, anything, anything. I don't think you heard me the first time. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, you've got to be spiritual about it, and with thanksgiving, thanking the Lord for what he's already done, and I like to even thank God for what he's about to do. Yeah. Present your request to who? To God, not to James. 
Because I'm trying to keep my own mind sane. I can't deal with all your petitions and requests. Take it to the Lord. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will God. Sometimes that peace comes over you and you just don't know how to explain it. So, you know, I should really be freaking out right about now, but for some reason, I'm not. I don't understand why. Maybe it's because I petitioned through prayer and gave thanks and presented my request to God instead of trying to deal it with myself. Maybe that's what it was. It says that he will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God will actually guard your hearts. And your mind when you decide to love him with your mind. So, you know, since this seems to be the prevailing thought throughout his letter, I decided, you know, let's take a different approach. Because Gene is already doing some, some, some deep theological teaching. So let me make things a lot more practical. Because I know, I don't know about you, but when I leave church, I want to leave with something to work on for the week. I, I need some practicals. I need you, all right, bro, I know I'm a sinner. Tell me how to not... Keep being a sinner. You know, give me something that's going to help me grow. So that's the approach we're going to take going forward. And I actually renamed the series to call it Mind Control. See, right away, we already went to that negative place. We already thought about hypnotizing and brainwashing. Whoa, where am I? You guys talk about mind control. You ain't tell me you got visitors coming. You didn't tell me your church was going to talk about mind control. I got to use the bathroom and we're going right to the car, right? No, 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 I'm talking about, you know, when you think about mind control, you'll see it all in the Old Testament. You see the commands and, and the principles about controlling our minds and all through the New Testament. See, the problem is, is that when our minds are not under control, which, by the way, they're under control by something. You read through the Bible, it's very clear. Your mind is either under the control of the Holy Spirit, of God, or under your sinful nature. So you decide who controls your mind. And that's what we're going to talk about. Because God empowers us. God gives us the ability to bring our minds under control. I'm fully aware of the mental illnesses that plague some of us. I'm not talking about that. But even still, God can still give you the ability. You may need some assistance. There may be some imbalances that you need, but God can still help bring it under full control. I've seen it. I've experienced it. Paul understood that we can put our minds, now what we put in our minds determines what comes out of our hearts, out of our words, and in our attitudes. In Philippians 2, Paul urges the Philippian church in verse 2 to be like-minded. And if we're like-minded, it leads to the desired result in verse 5, an attitude that is the same as that of Christ Jesus. Why is that important? I'm glad you asked in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 7, it says, The mind of sinful man is what? Death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God, does not. Submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You know, I believe that this passage accurately describes the current affairs in our world today. Death, 
hostility, disobedience to God. Paul says that the mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. When your mind is controlled by God, when it's under the control of the Holy Spirit, you desire life. You desire peace. There's no room for hatred in a mind like that. There's no room for division in a mind like that. There's no room for hostility because your thoughts are full of godly thoughts, peaceful thoughts. You know, there's a word that Jesus used when he gave that command back in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. A word he used for the mind. And it involves more than just thoughts. It can also be read as, love the Lord with all your disposition, with your purpose, with all your intention, intentions, with all your understanding. Love the Lord with all your intelligence, your way of thinking, your readiness to learn, and all your plans. That word has a root meaning also connected to repentance. So it can also be read, love the Lord your God through repentance. Because we know that the mind, repentance, begins where? At the mind. It's when we no longer conform to the patterns of the world. It's when we decide to stop going in the direction we're heading and we decide to go around and, and face God. We're no longer facing sin. We're no longer facing death. We're turning towards God. That's what repentance is. And when we love the Lord our God, repentance is a way of life. It's not just something we think is a good thing to do. It's something we live. And we're not challenged or we don't feel uncomfortable when someone say, hey, you need to repent. You know what? That's just like saying maybe you should change your way of thinking about that. Paul says that a sinful mind cannot please God. That's a scary thought in and of itself, but it's true. I don't know about you, but before Christ, I tried to do good things just off of willpower alone. I said, you know, I'm not going to curse for a month. And as soon as I messed up, I cursed. You, you get what I'm saying? And, and so there were things that I tried to do just out of sheer willpower. I got about six months, and then before you know it, that old James came right back and took over, took control, and it came back worse. Almost like, man, I missed this. You kept me from sinning. And, you know, and so my mind was not controlled by God. There were thoughts I entertained. I held grudges against people for years, and they had no idea. We would go hanging out. We would go to clubs. We would hang out, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, I hope he gets beat up because I can't stand him. That's how it was. Now, I know I ain't the only sinner in the building. Y'all looking at me like, Dag, James, you do need some mind control. When my mind was not controlled by the Spirit, I thought whatever I want, a woman walked by, I let my mind go unrestricted, unrestrained. Someone made me upset. I thought whatever I thought, and eventually those thoughts led to words. And then those words became actions. 
And then that's when I knew, all right, something needs to change. Because now I'm actually acting on these thoughts. Before they were all up here. Your brain is also big. I know some of us got some big heads, but you can only keep but so many thoughts in that big head of yours before it starts to spill out. And I know I got a big head, so it's like, all right, I can't keep it up there anymore. Now it's it's desiring to get out. So look, it's, it's crowded up here. You need to let us out. And that's like taking a brick from a wall that's keeping water back. You take that one brick off and the whole wall's going to come crashing down. And before you know it, your life is spiraling out of control. From one thought that you let go, that led to one action, and you spiraled out of your... You tell yourself, I already did it. I might as well just go the whole way. Hatred starts with a thought. Acts of violence starts with thoughts. Discord, we decide to be divided. Apathy, we decide to not care. And we see all these results of minds that are under the control of sin. And at the conclusion of his letter, Paul leaves him with an instruction that I believe changed the Philippians church's life forever. In Philippians 4, verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, Paul instructs the church to reprogram their minds. Control it with these thoughts, he said. Think about these things, not those things, these things. So over the next few weeks, we're going to re take control of our minds. Amen? Let's talk about the first thing that Paul encouraged the church to focus on, truth. So today's message is titled, Thinking the Truth About God and His Word. This is where we have to start. It begins with us thinking and believing and convincing our minds and ourselves of the truth about God and His Word. Otherwise, anything we build on those shaky convictions are going to fall. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, to the Jews who had believed, we just sung that song, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth. And what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. My first point is focus on the truth about God. We have to focus on the truth about Jesus tells his believers here to focus, to hold on to what is true, because the truth never leads to bondage. Specifically, the truth about God. Let me ask you, have you ever had any of the following thoughts? God does not care about me. He does not care about how I'm being treated. God must not know what's happening to me. Because if he did, he'd do something about it. God must not love me or those I care about. Because otherwise, we would not be suffering. You ever had those type of thoughts or thoughts like that? I know I have. And whenever we begin to think this way, we have to regain control of our minds. And we have to ask ourselves questions. Is this true and real about God? Is that really who God is? Does God really not care about me? 
Does God really not care about what I'm going? Is he really ignoring what I'm going through right now? Is that really true? And then we regain control by recalling the truths from the Bible about God that confirms his love for us. This is where we got to go back and we got to fight those thoughts. We're actually going to talk in the coming weeks about how to take captive our thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. But we got to go back to the Bible. We got to look at the truths about God. Here's one for you. God cares for the Israelites. After Joseph died, the Israelites remained, they were mistreated under the new Pharaoh. They were enslaved and they thought that God no longer cared about them. But as Exodus 2 reads, we know that this was never the case. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Three generations, God remembered them. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God heard that and he sent Moses to deliver them. And this is the true God. This is who God really is. The Bible reminds us that God sees, that he hears, and he knows all about the suffering of his people, and he actually does something about it. You and I must choose to focus on this truth. We have to choose. If it's going to make any impact, any difference in our, think, our thought life, we have to choose to focus on this truth. This is a rock-solid truth about God. And I have to focus on these things. I have to remind myself that, yes, God does care. If he cared for the Israelites, then he cares for me. God cared for Hagar. Hagar was, was Sarah, Abraham, Abraham's wife. It was, she was his mistress or her, her maidservant. When Sarah couldn't, she was impatient on God's promise that she would have kids, she told Abraham, go sleep with my maidservant Hagar. And so Abram reluctantly went and he did so. And then eventually she grew bitter towards her. She started to resent her. And so she mistreated her. And and in her story, twice God met her in a time of distress. The first time while she was pregnant, alone, and on the run in Genesis 16, verse 7 and 11, says that the angel of the Lord heard her, found her, and said, the Lord has heard your misery. God saw this woman and the predicament she was in. He heard her cries. He heard her cries. And he found her. And I love that because that means that God is looking after us. God seeks after us. God goes out. The Bible says that God searches the ends of the world. I know we would like to think that we came to our senses and said, you know what, I need to give up this life. That's because God had been seeking you out. And all those events that led up to that decision was all orchestrated by the Lord God Almighty. I know the day. I remember the day. I walked away from a near-fatal car accident. It had to be the hand of God. It had to be the hand of God. And at that very moment, I said, I give up. Had it not happened, I would have continued in my sin. I was on my way home from the club when that happened. So I knew it was the hand of God. We here, we're here by the utter grace of God. Afterwards, Hagar in verse 13, she identified another truth about God. 
In, verse, in Genesis 16, verse 13, it says that she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Isn't that beautiful? You know, she, she recognized that God saw her. Sometimes we just need to stop and reflect on every time God saw and heard our cries. You just got to remind yourself of the times that you cried out to God, whether it was out loud or in the silence of your own heart. Sometimes you didn't have to say a word because God was already seeking you out. God already knew what you needed. You know, that's a good parent, isn't it? We don't always wait for our kids to ask for something. We know what they need. And we go, we get it, and then hopefully we hope and pray that they're thankful. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. We look at our kids, and they look, and them shoes got holes all over. Let me go buy you some new shoes. And, oh, I thought it was a game. Thank you. You know, and that's just, that's just the job of a parent. You know, it's a thankless job. And if it's something that they really, really, really want, then they'll say, oh, thank you so much. And it's not the right color, but thank you, you know. But they're grateful, they're happy, you know. And, and God, but that's who God is. God just sees our need. He knows what we need before we even, it even leaves our tongue, God gives it to us. And then it's up to us to acknowledge and be grateful. Later on, she had a son. She was encouraged to name Israel, which means God hears. His very name meant God hears. You know, I, I love this because every time, I can imagine that every time she said his name, she was reminded that God hears. Every time she calls him out for dinner, Ishmael, it's time for dinner. She's calling out, God hears. Every time she shared with another parent about her son, and, and, and what's his name? Ishmael. She's reminded that God hears. Every time she's, she speaks his name, she's reminded that God hears. Maybe we need to rename our kids to help us remember that God hears. Give them the nickname Ishmael. I know your name is Noah, but today you're Ishmael. I just need to remember that God hears. It would be 16 years later that this single mother would meet with the Lord again. And again, God would prove that he knows, he sees, he hears, and he cares. Abraham sends Hagar away. This time is after the birth of Isaac. Isaac is born, and Sarah's like, I don't want him around. He's mocking my son. I don't want them around. Send them away. And it hurt Abraham's heart, but he did what his wife asked. He sent her away with some food and a sleeve of water. And while she's wandering in the hot, blazing desert, they came close, they ran out of water and came close to death. And she took her teenage son and laid him under a bush. And then she walked a, a short distance away because she did not want to watch him die. And this time, something else amazing happens. In Genesis 21, verse 17, the Bible says God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. The first time we see God interacting with her, he heard her cries. This time, God hears her children. There is a time 
that we have to realize God notices our children's hurting. God sees the bullying that happens. God knows about the name calling. God sees their insecurity. God knows about their fears. God knows about our fears for them. And I think this is the truth us parents can cling to. Nothing can harm a parent's faith, faith more than when they see their children hurting. Nothing challenges our faith more than to see our kids suffering and we can't do anything about it. But let me tell you something. God hears their cries. They may not cry to you, but God hears their cries. Some of our kids don't want to tell us that they're suffering. They don't want to tell us what they're going through. Most of us didn't. We didn't tell our parents when we were picked on at school all the time because we knew our parents would be up there in the New York Minute. What? My mother got a teacher fired, so I knew I had to be careful with what I said. She was up there in the New York Minute and we had a big conference, principal, next thing I knew, that lady was not in the school anymore. She wasn't playing. She knew. I knew, man, if I told my mom she's going to be up here, she's going to come down here in her slippers and her robe, and she's going to want to beat somebody up. I don't want my mama down here fighting. So I'm just going to take this like a man. I'm going to take this whipping like a man, because I know, you know, and I, the way I grew up, and I know some of you older brothers can, can relate, the way I grew up, if you lost a fight, they made you go, find the guy you lost to, fight him again until you won. I don't know where that thinking came from. I had not found any scripture to justify that. My uncles were made, and then if I lost, then I got whipped again. I guess that's their way of teaching me how to protect myself. Man, listen. God will answer our children. And this is a promise we have to, I know it's painful to see them go through their own journey. But when they're ready and they see their need for God, God will answer. God will answer. And God will come to the call. And then lastly, God cares for you. 1 Peter 5 verse 7. 1 Peter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You know, when I see that God hears and God sees and God knew and, 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 and God rescued the Israelites and Hagar and as well as many others like Daniel from the lion's den and Joseph from slavery and, and in prison and Hannah, you know, God heard Hannah. He, he, he listened to her and the widow of Zarephath when he sent, God sent Elijah to her, to that very widow because she was, her, her and her son was about to die of starvation. That increases and strengthens my faith in God's promises. I don't know about you, but it does. And we have to focus on the truth in scriptures like these. God cares for you. God cares for you. So when those thoughts are beating up against the shores of your mind, you've got to remind yourself, no, God does care for me. If God cared for him, if God cared for her, if God took care of them, God will be there for me. That is the truth. God is not aloof to what's going on in the world. He sees. He hears. He cares. The people are like, well, why doesn't he do something about it? He already did. 2,000 years ago, he did something. He sent his son to die so that sin would not rule and reign in the world. So that one by one we can serve as an example of this is how you should live. Not like that. This is how you treat people. 
of different races, of different classes, of different backgrounds, of different ethnicities. This is how you treat them. You come together, you worship, you meet their needs, you serve them, you love them, you look past what's on the outside, and you look at what's on the inside. This is how we do it. And church, let me remind you, we got to stick to God's plan. Because God's plan works. It works. Jesus broke down barriers that no man could ever do. He cares about his people and he cares about us. And then lastly, we need to focus on the truth about ourselves. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? I think some of us are afraid to look at ourselves in the mirror. Because we're not happy with the person looking back at us. Some of us here today have beaten ourselves up. We have dragged ourselves through the, through the dirt and through the muck and mire of self-criticism. And we have not bounced back yet. Some of us, we're still chained to sins of the past. We're letting it hold us back and keeping us from being who God called us to be. We've lost our innocence. The Bible says that when you're in Christ, you're a new creation every time. Sin has no place in the heart of a saved sinner. Does that make sense? We're, we're, we're saved sinners, but because we're washed clean with Christ, there's no place. That's what 1 John says. Isn't that what 1 John said? We're continually washed clean? I'm still trying to understand it, but I just know that it means when I go to God for forgiveness, I'm forgiven. I'm not going to sit there and be like, God, you really, you sure about that? No, if God said that he forgave me, I'm going to go and act like I'm forgiven. I know that there are things that's hard for us to let go, but this is where we got to train our minds. This is where we got to bring our minds under control. You know, it's an important step towards loving God with all our minds is first loving ourselves, seeing ourselves the way God sees us. When we view ourselves and each other through the lens of God's word, it becomes clearer of God's love for us and of our worth in his eyes. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible reads, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We got to let this, this scripture sink in right here. You didn't do anything. To make God love you more, and he still sent his son to die for you. Sometimes we want to wait until people understand, until people get it before we show our love and appreciation. I want to know that you're, you're not going to hurt me. I want to know that you're going to respect me before I love you, before I give you my heart, before I give you my time. God didn't wait for that. God said, no, even while you're in sin, I love you. And I'm going to show it by giving up the best thing for, that I have for your sake. I don't know too many people who would do that, especially in this day and age. The truth means that we are immeasurable. We are of immeasurable value in God's eyes. You are priceless. And even though we don't think or feel like we are, that's a truth that God holds to. And I think when God looks at us, he sees a totally different creature than what we see when we look in the mirror. And sometimes I believe that the, 
It's not even just our sin that hurts God's heart. It's our own self-image. Of our, it's, it's the negative way we see ourselves that hurts his heart. So why don't you, why don't you see what I see? You know, when I, when I look at you, I see something beautiful. I see something made in my own image. What do you see? What are you looking at? Well, Lord, you know, I got some wrinkles and I'm still working on this baby fat. I had three kids, Lord, you know. Lord, I, I mean, I hadn't been to the gym in a while. My knees jacked up, so I can't really run like I used to. So what? That body's going to get changed up anyway. I don't care about that. I want to know how you feel about what's inside of you. All that's, that's temporary anyway. God's going to give us, he's, I'm going to switch that out anyway. Don't even worry about that. Just, just try to maintain as best you can, because you're going to get a brand new one. But what are you looking at on the inside? See, the truth that God wants us to focus on about ourselves are right here. You know, I believe the truth is, this is what God is saying to us. I know you when you sit down and when you rise. I'm familiar with all your ways. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. I know every single one of them. For you were made in my image. In me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even when you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You were not a mistake, for all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you should live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore. And I rejoice over you with singing. I never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. One day I will wipe every tear from your eyes. And I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth. I am your father, and I love you even as I love my son Jesus. For in Jesus, my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you and not against you. And to tell you that I am not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I love for your sake. That is how God sees us. That is the truth. And there are a lot more scriptures. There are a lot more scriptures that we can use to help change our minds, to help control our minds and how we see ourselves. If this is how God sees us, then we need to see ourselves the same way. God said that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. I don't care how much you weigh. I don't care what your waist sign is like. God says that you are wonderfully and fearfully made. I don't care about the blemishes under your eye. I don't care about the marks on your skin. I don't care about all that. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. So much so that he gave up everything he loved for your sake. That's how precious we are. To God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the Bible says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You know, God gave us his truth to help break the cycle of destructive thinking that leads to discouragement, that leads to despair, that leads to doubt and disobedience. What untrue thoughts about God 
do you find yourself entertaining? What truths and teachings in the Bible are you failing to accept and apply to your life? What debilitating thoughts are you thinking about yourself? Thoughts that don't match up to God's view of you. The Apostle Paul considered all those things, and he learned how to love God with all his mind. Paul knew he was a sinner, but he also knew that he was precious in God's sight. He didn't walk around as a doomed sinner. He walked around as a saved sinner. It begins with believing the truth about God and his word, and then training our minds to see ourselves as God does. Today, I want to encourage you to decide to commit some scriptures to memory that's going to remind you of the truth about God and the truth about yourself in the view of God. When we do this, not only will we have a healthier thought life, but we'll be able to bring our minds under the control of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's go to God with the word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we just want to truly thank you for this time in your word. We want to thank you, Father, for not counting our sins against us, but for showing your love for us by sending Jesus to die in our place. God, I know that some of us may not fully understand or grasp what that means, but I do pray that by faith we'll accept what you've done on our behalf as an act of love. And whether we have fully retained or understood what what that act was, God, I pray that we'll trust you, that we'll commit scripture to memory, and that we'll commit to living a life of believing the truth about you, your word, and the truth about how you see us. God, we take, we take this bread as represents the body of Christ and the juice that represents the blood that was spilled for our, our sin and our salvation. And we ask that you will please keep us, keep us in line with your word. Keep us in step with your Holy Spirit as we pursue to loving you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.